Hello and welcome back to the Pit Stop Podcast. I am Jordan Dollar Coltman. I'm joined by Tyler Walzak, and we are here today uh, in what feels like like several days later because the Japanese Grand Prix this past weekend, it, for those of us in North America and especially those of us in like the Pacific side of North America, uh, experienced basically like a Friday Saturday weekend. Uh, if you watched it live, I know Tyler, you are a PVR. Uh, um, consumer, so you got yes. to kind of pick your own schedule, which is nice, but hard to stay away from the news when it's this early. But I got a lot of uh, uh, we got a lot of tweets and messages and people just complaining about the uh, the start time for all of those out on the eastern coast. And you're thinking to yourself, you do all realize how early we all have to wake up if we want to watch this stuff live, right? Like you you guys all get it at like 9 a.m. Usually we're up at the crack of dawn, so for you all have to stay up like 1 2 a.m. I don't feel sorry for any of them. No, I never feel bad for uh, people on the North American East Coast that get their literally times for all sports cater to their viewing pleasure. And we're just here kind of stuck with it. So these two races, the Japanese and the Singapore Grand Prix, we those cater kind of don't cater to us, but they work out in our favor. So, yeah. Certainly better, certainly better viewing if you do intend to do it live, which I, I always enjoy watching it live. Uh, we had lots of storylines and lots of things to dissect here, so let's get right to it. Um, before we even got to this race, uh, it, it came to light, and we should just start with this because, we, you know, obviously we know the result of the race at this point. Max had a return to form, we'll say, and Red Bull uh, winning a um, second consecutive Constructors' Championship. But that's not the story I want to talk about with Max. Before we even got to this race, it became very clear and it was acknowledged by the FIA that they had made a mistake and should have penalized Max last week in Singapore. And once again, we see Red Bull somehow getting away with uh, avoiding punishment and and not playing by the rules. Now, we joked a little bit on our show last week about how like Alpha Tori certainly wasn't going to make it you know, uh, a point of contesting it too, too strongly, but clearly the FIA at least did acknowledge, which is nice to at least have that acknowledgement that uh, Max should have been penalized for impeding in Singapore. Um, well, is which, that what, is that what their complaint was? Or it was the fact that he stopped coming out of the pit lane? Yeah. Which is impeding. Was, oh yeah, I guess so. But that's not, he had two um, things that they were looking at and in Singapore qualifying was he did hold up Sunata on the track when Sunata was on a flying lap. And he, but the thing that was most controversial was he stopped at the end of the pit lane and waited for cars to get ahead of him so he could have a clear spot. So he could have multiple penalties. And the only thing that that really, like, sure, like one of those two, he should have been called on. We know why the Sonata one wasn't brought up or he wasn't penalized for it. This one, we saw um, kind of the fallout from it on the Japanese qualifying because guys were stopping at the end of the pit lane waiting for the, the air to clear so that they could go yeah. do their flying laps. Like, so it was very much something that everyone started taking advantage of. Like, like if you're not going to penalize the like champion constructors of this year, then you can't penalize us for doing the same thing. Yep. So it very it much works. was a fallout from it. That's how it works for sure. Uh, all right, let's jump to qualifying. We got lots to talk about in the race. So let's get through qualifying real quick here. Obviously a couple of big storylines. We once again saw Logan Sargent struggle not able to finish and that led yeah. to a red flag. Um, I mean, at this point you have to start to wonder whether or not the fact that he doesn't have a contract going into next year, if he, he's certainly not helping his case. He's kind of the only one left with a, his seat in jeopardy. Is he not for the next season for the 2024 driver lineup? Like he is the guy that everyone's talking about. If Liam Lawson's going to get a spot. And another thing that happened before this race was we were in Japan 
and they gave Sunada another contract. Alfatori said Sunada will be racing with us next year in 2024. Um, so it, it kind of right then was Liam Lawson's only spot left is really Williams and Daniel Ricardo is what you should just mention with that point. Sort of, obviously, yeah, because it's both, Ricardo both seats are locked up, even yeah. though Daniel hasn't driven more than a race and a half for them uh, yet this season, but he he's been promised and now contracted for that extra seat. So you're right. It's a, it's an interesting storyline because Lawson has done nothing but demonstrate that he is fully capable of competing here. And he has outperformed several more experienced drivers. And of course the rookie sergeant. So it's an interesting conversation to be had. We'll wait and see it, but you're right. It's like the last domino to fall here. That's kind of the missing piece. Every other driver, every other team's driver lineup is more or less set. Uh, And I still only say more or less because you know, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. It wouldn't be the worst. Like it wouldn't be the first time that some team makes a drastic decision at the last minute. Uh, And certainly, you know, when you look at how certain drivers are performing, I'm sure there's a few teams that are scratching their heads about why they signed certain guys to contracts, but that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. We don't know. Um, The other storyline coming out of qualifying, obviously Lance Stroll, once again, you know, can't get out of Q2. King was it Q1? Q1. He couldn't get yeah, out of couldn't Q1. Even get a Q1. So again, like we're looking at a guy who is he is should never be, made should it. be on the chopping block too for his team, but clearly is not. I think they said he had never made it. Lance Stroll has never made it out of the Japanese Grand Prix qualifying Q1. He's never qualified for Q2. Yeah, kind of crazy. And it's interesting because you know, we watched this weekend and we'll talk obviously more about it in a second, but we watched a couple teams that have really been able to find a very highly competitive level of parity with their two drivers. You know, the way that McLarens have slowly gotten better all season, but they've done so together as the car has improved. Both drivers have man- managed to stay with each other. The same can be said for Mercedes for the most part, you know, there's been a couple yeah. discrepancies, you know, and obviously like you can't take Singapore's results because George didn't finish, but they were right there together till the very end, literally the last lap. So don't just look at the timing charts. You got to watch the race, but they've been right there together competing with each other, literally. And then even the Ferraris, which although they've had some like kind of ups and downs week to week, they are still both competitive. Unlike guys like Alonzo and Stroll, where there's such a dramatic discrepancy in terms of the consistency and the results. And then equally, you know, you look at like, like the way that, um, which just the way that Red Bull has performed all so year sad. with Perez cannot, cannot seem to find the same pace in what is clearly the fastest car out there. So you, you, that's, what's interesting is, um, we're seeing the teams that have managed to get two drivers, both comfortable in the same car. And then the, the couple teams that either the driver just can't figure it out or they're having terrible years, or they just, the, the car is clearly suited too much to too much. So to one of the other drivers, anyway, it's just an interesting storyline and we'll see how it plays out the rest of the way here. Um, any final thoughts on qualifying before we get to what was a high yeah, event did, race uh, to bring it back to stroll is Logan Sargent put it into the wall very much like stroll did in Singapore, but their team was able to put it back together and get their driver back on the track, get, and it doesn't even need to be the driver or get the car back on the track. So that just even goes to prove that the next week after the exact same scenario happened, it looked almost like the same like type of damage where it's going to sit. Like, I don't even want to like work hours wise. It would probably be the same. They even got penalized because they rushed it too much. They had it. They were working down to the wire to get it out of there. They put too many parts on their car and they got, that's why he started from the pit in the race. But why, 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 why did Aston Martin not be able to get their car back out there in Singapore? It's just another strike against Lance Stroll. Yep. 
For sure. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Uh, let's jump to the race. We got lots to talk about, and it didn't uh, disappoint. This is a track that often leads to, uh, as I say, high event racing and certainly some incidents. I believe they said something like in the last like 10 or 15 races here, there has, we have yet to have a, a clean race without at least one safety car, and there's usually more than one. That was certainly the case, and it happened on lap one. Uh, we had some contact near the back of the field. I believe it was Turn Williams one. going into a Alpha. Uh, and just shrapnel everywhere. It was very clear, very obviously, very fast. They were going to have to uh, uh, safety car just to get the, the, all of the, the road cleaned up. Um, but it meant we kind of got like a, a false start followed by, you know, another kind of dramatic start to the race. And what was nice, again, was you had the top, you know, the front runners or whatever, really competitive with each other. Let's not talk about Max. But for the most part, they were really close together and bunched up. And we had some interesting sort of team on team fights really early in this race. Um, the, the Mercedes fight, obviously right at the beginning was kind of like touch and go there for a minute. And yeah. I, I believe it was George who even came on and said, do we want to fight each other or, or that those guys? End. That was, that's, that was at the No, end no, no. He had a different comment later. Go back and earlier. He's one of his first comments was like when, 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 uh, Lewis almost ran him off the road on like lap three after the safety car, he's like, are we fighting each other or are we going to go fight the other guys? Was that early? That wasn't it that was. early. I think it, it was. was like I went and checked it because I was 12. going to look for the radio call of the race. I went and f- I, I went and watched it. It was it was one of my nominees. It was very early on. He had some other choice words later on. We'll get to that. But but I guess the question for you is like when you saw how this race was going to start, we knew the the, the McLarens were going to be bunched up because they were starting right up there. You had Piastri with actually qual- out qualifying his teammate, uh, starting in in second position there, and then you had the Mercedes just behind them, kind of squabbling. Uh, I thought we were going to get even more fireworks and then they all kind of made it out relatively clean. Uh, and then well, they, that- what happened was they didn't call the, they didn't officially call a safety car until well into the first lap. Um, so like after the, you saw the accidents happening um, on the straight before turn one, Albon got pushed into Botas who got pushed into Hamilton. Yeah. Um, and there was another, there was another um, accident on that first uh, straight but they didn't actually call any until everybody was passed, like maybe seven, eight turns in, and they saw that there was debris on the straightaway. That's when they they called the uh, um, virtual safety car. But it was they let them race for the first the first little bit of it, so it wasn't just like one turner, one sorry, one corner, everybody stop. It was they did the only problem that kind of made this race less exciting for me was after that first turn, the separation between Verstappen. And or Norris passed him, I think, on that first yep. first couple he got past of turns, him, and, and then, then it just separated two seconds, that, yeah. two seconds between Verstappen and Norris, and then two seconds between Norris and Piastri. It was like ah, it's gonna be one of these races where we know the top three. We can try to make some drama out of it, but those are almost seems like it's inevitably gonna be those three. Um, that was the only thing that I kind of it was a bummer to me when I was watching it at the beginning, but. Uh, Again, that was the the first crash as you always go, hey, that's the first time we've had that maybe this year on the first yeah, turn. Pretty like, clean. Kind of like yeah. a, it, you just see the first three cars get clean and then the back just all just debris flying everywhere. Yeah, and so you jump a few laps ahead too. We have another incident. This time it's Perez just like way too aggressive on trying to make an overtake on K-Mag. Like there was no room for him there. Puts it in the side of Magnuson and he has to retire. So we give- he didn't really retire. No, but so we give... Um, the the directors of these races, like the the ones that are putting the the broadcast together, a lot of shit sometimes because they're not following the like the very dramatic um, sure. overtakes and everything. But this, they were literally on the rev- like the rear 
view camera of Magnuson's back left tire talking about somebody else, but they had Magnuson's back left tire camera up and you saw Perez just drive into it as they were talking about somebody else. I was like, holy shit. They like, it's like they predicted it as the first time they've actually nailed a camera for like a, a collision like that. When it's like a very specialized camera, it was very, very cool to see. Yeah. I don't know if you picked that up when you're watching it. I was, I almost like got out of the seat. I was like, Whoa, what's he doing? What's he doing? What's he doing? And it went right into the back. Of I was like, you couldn't have picked a better camera. So before. do you think it was actually live or do you think that they had re-racked a replay from a moment ago, like in golf and they just presented it as if it was live? No, because the there's so many different things. The announcers no, but I know, but the, the, yeah, but they may have not have caught up to what their director had put in front of them. They don't know the director no, I has think it was sheer luck. It. I because you get luck. that with all of the radio calls too. They're never in sequence. They just plunk them in and then they try to cut back to some of the replays that are relevant to them. And sometimes sure. it's like clearly a replay because it's a slow motion, but I don't know. No, maybe. This was live because the, the reactions right. were, were. I'm too much of a time. cynic, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's very simple. Perfect, but that's awesome. If they can do it for that one shitty like accident, why wouldn't they, they do it for every yeah, yeah, that's every overtake? Yeah, so they just got lucky, I guess. They picked the right moment to be on the right thing. They anticipated or just got lucky. That's awesome. They got lucky. Yes, you're right. It was a, but it was clearly Perez overreaching because there was no room for him there, and he just put it Zero. in the side of him, drove um, right into him. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I don't, I don't have it here in my notes, but there was also an incident. Maybe it was just before this too, where like Bottas got spun around by somebody. I think that was the other house, wasn't it? Yeah, it was by a, a Haas car for sure. And they showed him kind of doing a like a spin to get back on the track. You yeah. didn't really see what happened. Then they showed the replay and totally got taken out. Yeah, he just got totally like completely. Got taken out. Anyway, the Perez one's funny. So we'll jump around a little bit here because we're jumping forward a bit. But Perez retires at lap 15 or so we think. He's in the garage. He gets out of the car and then they realize he's going to have a penalty. And the penalty is going to apply to next race if he doesn't actually serve the penalty, right? Yeah. And so he gets back in the car and he sits there from lap 15 all the way until lap 41. They send him out for one lap so he can come into the pits, serve his five-second penalty, and retire. And I've never seen that before. I don't know if you've no. ever seen it before. It sounded like the commentators had never seen it before. It was a great loophole, but also one of the most bizarre situations because the car has been sitting there for literally like over 30 laps almost 30 laps and he's just sitting there waiting 25 laps and sitting there sitting there sitting there sitting there and then they actually they didn't even send him out when they first wanted to because they were worried he was going to get into max's way way. so they waited and waited and sent him out in clean air but it's just like i mean frankly i now i'll be surprised if other teams don't do it if the car is still functional because the car was like it wasn't they had enough time to repair the car basically and send it back out which is hilarious to me so it's, I w- I'm kind of frustrated by this. So it has happened before, but not okay. to serve a penalty is um, I forget which team or driver it was, but they talked about it briefly. Um, and he was out for about 15 laps. And then they had like a new setup in the car that they weren't able to test properly. So they said, Hey, why don't you just put him back in there with the things we wanted to test and we'll see how he does around the rest of the act <laughs> to get some data. But this was very much just so they wouldn't have to serve their um, time penalty as a grid penalty uh, coming up at the next race. Now, I think that's kind of dumb and maybe just like you're, you're adding maybe some unwarranted drama that could happen if Perez does get into the back of somebody or impede somebody because it's a five second penalty. Yeah. And then he was out of the race. It was it, the car probably could have got on, but what was the point? Like it was just at that point it, he, yeah. he, when he came back out, I don't know if you saw him on the timing charts, he was something like, like uh, six or seven laps behind, like yeah. where they got all the five, times, yeah. and it's like plus five. 
Yeah. It was like, oh boy. Uh, but also kind of impressive that he was only five laps down considering how long he was out of the race. Well, I think it was five laps down from the car in front of him. That's what I mean. And but who still, did not finish. The whole who group. did not finish. No. It yeah. would have been the last car was... on the track. No, no, no. So there. somebody did not finish. And then oh, Perez, I see, I see, I see. That's Perez was out. And then there was two more DNFs after okay. he had DNFed. So he was five laps behind the person that did not finish. Okay. All right, all right. That makes way more sense because I was very yeah. confused by that. Well, I was um, I kept watching that too. So I was like, how are they gonna do this? How are they gonna do this? How are they gonna yeah. do this? And so that's what uh that's what happened. It was Stroll. So he was five laps behind Stroll who did not finish. Copy. All right, let's I'm I, I'm gonna jump around a little bit because I got a few things. Let's start with the kind of the bigger the bigger the big finishers, and then we'll talk about some of the midfield teams just because there's some interesting drama that was going on oh, down there. But we don't have to drama. let's not but let's not do it in order, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Let's right. just jump around here. Let's let's jump to near the end of the race because we had one of the what I think is one of the more entertaining moments of this race. And it's certainly one of those moments where if you're following along race to race, you got a little bit of kind of like a, a, a continuation of a storyline from Singapore. Obviously we have the Mercedes who are now leading as signs has the better tires and is in the better position. And he's chasing them down. Lewis has clearly got pace on Russell. Who's on really old tires because he had tried a one-stop strategy that just wasn't going to work. Hoping again, I think for a late safety car that never came. And so you've got Lewis breathing down his neck and he recognizes pretty quickly. If I let Lewis pass, I'm a sitting duck. And Mercedes oh. is trying to play this game of like, do we hold uh, signs off can get the maximum team points? Or is there a chance Lewis can like catch up to Leclerc? Now it was a bit of a gamble either way. Obviously we know what George would have preferred because he would have loved to have had a little bit more support. They let Lewis go ahead, but they did tell Lewis, you got to give him DRS and he does so, which, of course, leads to a great radio call from Signs about the fact that, oh, they're using my trick against me. Because if you recall, in Singapore, that's exactly what Signs and Norris did oh, yeah. to hold off Russell and Lewis. It was brilliant, but it just didn't work this time because there was no pace left in the tires on Russell's car. Well, so they also didn't give him a fair run. shot. So it yeah, was but he just of, didn't have he just didn't have the rubber left uh, to, to survive. I, I, I kind of disagree with what you're saying. We right. don't know. So they assumed that. And. We all know that Hamilton's very good at keeping people behind him. So they probably could have made it work, but they wanted Hamilton to chase Leclerc. Hamilton wants because he got ahead yes. of Russell like by a second and a half right away. Yeah, and did. then Russell started complaining, being like, hey, if you're gonna let him go ahead, you're you're leaving me sitting duck back here. But he which, also, he, which Hamilton did. So Hamilton yeah. came back and said, Fine, I'll help yeah. him, but it was way too Late yeah, and George did also strategy. acknowledge later on the radio. I mean, he's actually earlier, I think he said, why don't you invert us on the last lap? We can hold him off unless you think yes. Lewis can get that position, yeah. which is what ended up being the case. Which now, all the they should have said, all they should have said is he, he, we feel like he can catch the Claire. And then Russell should have been like, oh shit, okay, then go ahead. Like, leave yeah. Me. And I mean, Russell wasn't wrong in the sense that he saw exactly how it was going to play out and it played out exactly how he anticipated it would yeah. play out. And then from his perspective, the worst, like he, he knew he was toast. The question is, yeah. do you think Mercedes made the right decision to try to chase down Leclerc considering he didn't? And no. considering you're fighting those, both of those two cars for points, if you really want to maximize your points for second place, keeping signs behind would have been the right strategy. I guess the question is this, were they seeing data we weren't about the fact that it wouldn't have worked anyway and they didn't want to sacrifice both positions? Uh, and, and if they had gotten caught in some weird situation where signs got past them both, it would have been worst case scenario. So it's kind of one of those gambles where like you're mitigating you're mitigating risk and you're trying to like maximize the potential upside as opposed to, you know what I mean? Like it felt like kind of a lose-lose lose at that point. 
so here's what I think the problem is with the the decision they made. It was it was kind of like if you're looking for a new job and you get two offers and you're weighing the offers against each other over like a period of a day or two, and then you wait just a little bit too long to make a decision and both offers go away. Yeah. So they either I think watching it live or not live, but like in my head live, um, as opposed to when I was watching on PBR. So they should have never let Hamilton get past Russell if they wanted to play the game, the science game, let's call it. If they wanted to employ the science game, never yeah. let Hamilton pass Russell because Hamilton's good enough to keep science behind him. And Russell knows that he has to keep both of them within DRS. Right. And once he was past once Russell, they the let game Hamilton pass, yeah, it was Hamilton's over. brain went, I'm going to go catch Leclerc. And by the and then he immediately left Russell out of the DRS zone for at, at least one lap. Russell didn't have DRS. And then as soon as that happened, then they said, Hamilton, you got to stay back and, and hang on to your buddy. That was, it all just went to shit. And it was like, okay, well, nothing, it was too late. At that decision. Yeah. They made the decision twice too late. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and again, like from my perspective on it, it's like, as you say, you have to be decisive and you have to be ruthless. You have to make the decision you're going to make and you got to cut bait and go. And that's that they couldn't do. They, yeah. they just clearly couldn't see. And, and, and of course, because, you know, it's like the prisoner's dilemma. There's like six different outcomes. You're trying to solve all of them at once ex- instead of just accepting the first yeah. most obvious and straightforward option, which sometimes is the best option. And in that situation, it would have been. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, it put them in the position they were in and gave signs sixth place where Hamilton finished five, five and a half seconds behind Leclerc. I bet if he went to get Leclerc, it would have been one and a half two. Yeah. He could have gotten close. Um, okay. So, I promised we would jump around a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about Gasly and Ocon and let's talk about Alpine because there's some some drama going Alps. on there. And we knew going into this season, there was going to come some volatility. These are two guys with a history. This is two Frenchmen on a French team. There's bound to be some drama. To be fair, like for most of the year, they've been pretty quiet, but that's also because yep. like one or the other has struggled. It's not like they've really been in too many like dog fights with each other. But the Cold War turned a little bit spicy here this weekend. It doesn't make sense. There is a problem at Alpine. Um, I'm obviously on the Gasly side of this. And if anyone kind of... It, it, after the race, immediately I didn't see that they had switched because it, it obviously just went to guys coming in and then they follow Verstappen and do the radio calls after. But I did not know that they had switched at the very end Yeah. until I kind of was like, wait, what happened? And then looked into it. There's no reason for them to have done that. All they've done is created a problem for themselves. Yep. Gasly qualified ahead of Ocon. Gasly was in front of Ocon the entire race. They brought Ocon in to undercut Gasly. It did not work. And then Gasly had fresher tires, would have passed him anyways, but they said to Ocon, let Gasly through so that he can chase the guy in front of him. I think it was Alonzo. Um, once Gasly wasn't able to get Alonzo on the very last lap, they on the radio went to Gas and was like, hey, let Ocon pass you. Why the fuck would you do that? That doesn't, you're get. it's not for the team because you're getting the same amount of points, whether Gasly or Ocon cross the line first. Yeah. It, do, it doesn't make any sense at all. And all you've done now is alienate the better driver in your car, which I don't know why you would do that. Ocon's been around longer, but Gasly is performing at a better, at a, a higher level now than Ocon is. He's had more podiums. It's it's a very strange thing for a midfield that has two drivers signed through next year 
to make that decision on this meaningless race. Yeah, unless and, there had been a prearranged decision, but clearly from the sounds of Gasly's post so. race, yeah. he didn't think so. So that's definitely an interesting one. Uh, did you hear the other news about Alpine and Gasly's? Gasly request? wants them to change the car, which also yeah. makes sense. Like if you're, here's the thing: it's, Ocon is too tall for this sport. Everybody else is short. Ocon is the tallest driver on there. His car needs to be bigger for him to fit in it, and it's it's the right away you're making the car slower. So Gasly said, I want my car to be two inches shorter and I want the cockpit to be smaller. There's no reason for it to be all big and lanky. I know that that goof over there has got big, long arms, but I don't, and I'm better. So they're, why not have two different car sizes? Can they do that? I don't two think so. Cars? Why? Why not? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That's a good do question. Both cars I know have to that... be the exact same? Well, here's what I know. Uh, I don't know the exact rules about that, so I'm not going to pretend I do. But I do know that Art and Senna died because they tried to change his car, not the other guy's car, based on length of arms. They extended his drive shaft to make it more comfortable for him in there, and they and he died because the car, the drive shaft collapsed. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but my point oh, is that's an that. example of when they that. probably changed the rules around one car being different than the other. I would yeah. bet you. Now, that's again, there's somebody out there listening right now screaming, knowing exactly what regulation 3.902 is that states exactly what the rules are. But it's an interesting conversation because you'd also think that if it was as simple as saying, well, they should be they should be two different sizes that like they just would be doing that. But if Gazi is actually going to the lengths of making it public that he has requested this, then clearly there is a conversation that has to be had about whether or not they're allowed to do it that way. I think that I'm sure that like Gasly sits a little further forward than Ocon does, but that's seating, you know, like that's the seat fitting and structure of yeah. what's inside the cockpit. It is an interesting conversation because Again, who's number one over there? And is it based on results or is it based on seniority? And if it's seniority, Ocon's obviously there. He's also won a race for Alpine, which Gasly has not yet done. So that's the challenge in terms of like what that relationship is. And I would be curious, but I like the fact that there's drama going on because it's interesting to see how it's going to play out. Not great, again, if you're a fan of the team, but certainly interesting from a Formula One perspective, like, you know, from a thousand yards up, which I would also say of the same thing of like Aston Martin. I hope there's some difficult conversations going on over there. I'd like there to be. I'm, I hope there's some yeah. difficult conversations going on at Williams. I'm sure there are because James Valls has also just taken over there and he's barely had a full season to like get himself set up and, and organized. So next year there's going to be changes at Williams. Neither of these are drivers he signed. So that'll be a part of it too. You know, I like when the, when that kind of stuff is there, but I would also bet you we're going to have an episode of drive to survive dedicated to like the internal fighting at Alpine. So it works out perfectly from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, these guys also have a history of not liking each other as well. They started off as friends. Well, they're French. Do, do, do any French people well, like any, well, any other well, French people? Well, I apologize to all of the French listeners. For, no, if we have French voting. listeners, they're all nodding and agreeing with me. The French people are always upset with other French people. They don't get along. That's the whole point. Being French. Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get back to our pre-arranged conversation. Let's just for a brief moment talk about uh McLaren. Like yeah. if there is a team that has had like the the biggest improvement, if you want to call like given we don't give out an award for most improved, but they should have it. Like the fastest turnaround of a fortune in one season so far for McLaren. Like we watched Mercedes struggle all of last year. We watched McLaren struggle all of last year. 
McLaren put it together this year much faster after having a dismal start to the year. Like just they were like 12 seconds off the pace. And then all of a sudden in the last like, you know, month or so, they've really started to be able to string results together and they're starting to fight to the top of the table in the ways we like kind of thought maybe Aston Martin would do this year or even the way we thought Ferrari would last year. But McLaren has slowly but steadily made their car better, found their results. And as I said, both of their drivers right now, like they have clearly built a car that is comfortable for both of these two guys. Oscar Piastri is without question the rookie of the year. He's had a phenomenal year. And oh, also, but, yeah, but also like everyone and their mother told you that for like two years. This Why is this guy not in Formula One? But he has met those expectations, which is really nice to see. Uh, and he's pushing Norris, which is nice to see too, because Norris is a little spoiled brat who's had things kind of just handed to him. I like that he's got a teammate that's actually competitive with them. It was interesting to see how their dynamic played out, and I wondered if you had thoughts on how they ended up allowing Norris to take a second place too, considering he was out. Well, he was going to pass him anyway. He was going to pass him anyways. Norris had the faster car. Or, or did what did something better with the car that was fast. But he asked, I think in the mid middle of the race or whatever lap it was just like, Hey, get this guy out of the way. Like he's slowing yeah. me down by. Well, five I think seconds. what he did, what he did, and this is now going to be the, the, the like next piece of evolution for Oscar Piastri. He has figured he is a great driver. He has amazing instincts and clearly like some amazing talent. He has figured out how to qualify this car. He's figured out how to do it better than Norris right now his tire degradation and tire maintenance throughout a race is what he will work on and will get better at. Because I think that's where, to be honest, that was the edge that Norris had. He just had healthier tires throughout this race. And this was a long stint race. Um, so he was able to, to nurse the, the dag and he was able to get a bit more results out of it, which is, I think, something that comes with experience that Piastri will get. But I'm just so excited for the future of what these two guys could do here at McLaren in the next year or so. If they're able to continue to develop this car at the same clip they are right now, will they catch Red Bull? I'm not saying that, but I think that it would be nice. And I think it's good for the sport to have a four-way fight up near the top where you have the McLarens and the Mercedes and the Ferraris and the Red Bull, hopefully the gap closes a little bit, but having those four teams fighting for podium positions. And it would be nice if Aston Martin could figure their shit out and get back up there too, but that is good for the sport. And we hope that as these regulations sort of settle in and teams get better at figuring out how to develop their cars, that a few more teams will also start inching up into that sort of upper echelon, but like go back four or five years, McLaren was a team that was competing to be, you know, second and third place. And we, and they've won world championships in, in the past couple of years. This is a very well-established car company and a very well-established racing team that needs to be successful. And I think that it's just nice to see a little bit of success for them. I don't, I'm not a fan of Lando Norris, but I'm definitely, you know, I would, like I said last week, if I'm buying stock, it's in Carlos signs, but I'll, I'll put a little money on Oscar Piastri too. Like that's a guy who I think has a very bright future. Oh, both, both of them, both of them do. And it'd be nice for them to stay at McLaren and, and the, what they've been, let's not forget that McLaren had full upgrades, not full upgrades, but their, both their cars had upgrades this for this race, the Japanese Grand Prix. Um, it wasn't like earlier this year where Norris got upgrades and then um, Piastri didn't, they both got upgrades for this race and they did exactly what they're supposed to do with them. They did what they've been able to show us throughout this year and the, the only thing that really stands out to me about this is that you look at Aston Martin, who right now is fourth in the constructors, 221 points. And then you look at McLaren, who's 172 points. McLaren's going to overtake Aston Martin. I oh, think easily. that's almost a guarantee easily. at this point. And 
and not to, I don't want to switch this to Lance Stroll again and shit on him again, but at what point do uh, does uh, that Aston Martin car, let's just say, at what point does Lawrence Stroll start losing sponsorships because he refuses to get rid of his son in that other car? Well, and do I know you think it doesn't Lawrence matter Stroll, to Alonso. Do you think Lawrence Stroll is like, like hiding brand new tennis rackets and things in Lawrence's like bedroom and stuff so every time he goes home he's like oh yeah i really like tennis and you know like he gets home and all of his like posters of f1 drivers have been swapped out for you know famous tennis players or whatever and it's like you know i I was just thinking like would you want to go down to the park and play some tennis there just just like 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 clockwork right he's yeah yeah, he's got his eyes taped up trying to get exactly he's trying to like I, I went with Inception, which is a much less aggressive movie. I like that you went right to Clockwork Orange. But to be fair, we're talking about uh, Lauren Stroll. It's probably the Clockwork Orange version, to be fair. Yeah, I would not be surprised if McLaren is fighting for podiums for the rest of the six races we have left. Yeah, I think that's fair, especially considering we saw them both competitive at Singapore where Red Bull really struggled. And then also be competitive here, clearly. I mean, they took both other podium spots. So they clearly have a car that is capable of driving in both types of circuits and in, in different situations. And it will be it will be nice to see them up there fighting for it, for sure. The, 100%. The, fu- the, fu- the funny thing is that, like, that means that the, f- the guys in three and four are actually fighting for two, but they're down in three and four, and they're getting sort of their fight all mixed up in the McLarens, which is fun. It makes for more drama, for sure. Yeah. I also, mean, well, the, the Ferrari-Mercedes fight right now, too, is only... It's only 20 points. That's off. what I mean, like, though. That's, that's what I'm so saying. Close. That's what I'm saying. It, it could become a three race, a three dog race real fast. What's interesting for me is this, is it's like you, you make the point about Alonzo and the discrepancy with Stroll. We've already talked about it today, but, but, but just how many points they've left on the table, but equally like Red Bull probably would have won the constructors like four races ago. Had yeah. Perez been in second place all this, all this time, like they would have been like their dominance is unprecedented. And it's fan- and like, it's fantastic for Red Bull that they've been able to do this. And yet they've really done it with one arm tied behind their back. That's what's even more crazy about it. To be fair. It's gotta be so frustrating to be in that, in that garage and know that like you have the best car and all you need is the best driver, and you got one. But then you have like, what is wrong with Perez? Like, they had, well, they have to deal with him for another year. Yeah, but again, it's like, <laughs> like I it, that that's a laundry list. Like, what's wrong with Perez? Everything that's wrong with him that's like normal to being struggles drivers are having is one thing. But then put on top of it the pressure of being a Red Bull driver. Put it on top of being the, the teammate of the world champion. Put it on top of the fact that he literally has like the head of driver operations and racing operations for their team making like racist comments about him in the media. The fact that the, the team just is constantly look like it. There's, there's probably not another athlete in the world that has more like is fighting more pressure on more fronts simultaneously than him it's like in most sports it's like okay you're not performing well the fans get on you the radio gets on you but it's all kind of coming from one direction here it's coming at him from like nine directions and half of it's in the house how do you put those fires out how do you like get yourself in a good place to race in a sport that to be fair like you have to probably be in a pretty good mental state to be functional doing this because this is an incredibly taxing physical sport but moreover it's like an incredibly taxing mental sport and if you if you've got all these distractions i don't know how any of this works like i don't know it's amazing he hasn't just said i'm good guys like i'm done i I don't want to deal with this anymore i wouldn't be surprised if he just hung it up just to get out of that get out of coming up like coming up over the next year and a half i i agree with you 
I think that when he first got to Red Bull, there was no pressure. It was like, just stay out of Max's way 100%. and get points for us. And then Max got a, another uh, championship out of it. And now he was like, okay, well, what are you, what are you doing, Perez? Like, how come you're not, you're not competing for these championships? We want two of these cars. And then it was like, well, hold on. I thought I was here just to be number two. I didn't know you guys wanted me to actually do fucking anything. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like ah, Perez, like, you got to think guys that are not going to be a lot much longer in this sport. Perez is probably top two. Probably. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, I, I whether it's, and he's also not young. That's the other, like, thing that yeah. goes against him here. This is an older driver who's, like, it's a tricky thing because it's like, what do you want out of that driver? It's like you look at the best teammates to world champions and the there's sort of two archetypes. One is the like consummate bridesmaid, bridesmaid who is comfortable being number two, but is capable of constantly finishing right behind them. And that's Valtteri Bottas, right? Like the yes. perfect teammate for Lewis Hamilton, where it's like at no point was he his ego going to get in the way at no point. And sure. Does he want to win? Of course he does. He was competitive. That one made him successful, but he also at no point there was illusions that they were going to somehow set him up to, to be number one. He was number yeah. two and he was good to be number two. And he was capable of being number two in the sense that he was constantly in second position, taking maximum points for that team. Or when Lewis had a bad day, making sure he won the race to get maximum points for the team. Yeah. The alternate being like the, the, the like Rossberg, sort of position where you have like a guy who's actually competing with, with him that hasn't happened in a while. And there hasn't been anybody that Red Bull can find that can actually compete with max at his current position. The last time he had a competitive like teammate, it was Daniel Ricardo, mm -hmm. but they were neither of them were in a car that was going to win a world championship. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things where they're going to kick themselves if they do let Perez go and yeah. that person starts fighting Verstappen for the top, we because we know Verstappen can't handle that from a teammate. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and that's the that's just the. I mean, anyway, it it it'll be an interesting story because I don't think we're we're even near the end of what this saga is going to be. Whether it's another year and they kind of just hope that their dominance is there, but what's going to happen next year if Red Bull comes into the season and all of a sudden there's one or two cars on the grid who are actually competing with them and yeah. then you are desperate for those points right well what happened was perez was great at the beginning of this year so he bought himself some time yeah. and now he's not so good but they just won the constructors in this yeah. last race on the, on sunday so it doesn't matter anymore they won they, he's part yeah. of a team that just won the constructors so whatever the first three or four races next year are he has to be at the level he was at the beginning of this year or else that turn on that conversation is going to happen very quickly all right. Uh, last thoughts on uh, our race here in Japan before we move on. Williams was terrible. Um, <laughs> and Haas was terrible. Like, not even in the race. Like, didn't even need to start up either of those teams. It was weird. Yeah, but, like, Haas has been a non-story all year. Yeah. They're, just, like, they're the most irrelevant team in this Agreed. sport. I think Williams has had even more interesting elements well, come Williams out of there is... because you have Albon yeah. there, and who's at least put some interesting results up. But, like, what else are you going to say about Haas other than the fact that they were involved in almost every collision, even though well, they had bad luck. their fault? Botas had bad luck too because the Williams just kept bumping into him. Both yeah. Williams cars bumped into Botas. It was bad luck for him. All right. Uh, let's leave it there for now. Oh, no. Let's do our awards. What am I talking about? We got to hand out some awards. Hand some hardware here. Oy, oy, oy. That's what okay. the fans want. 
Oh, like I said, I watched this race Saturday night. It's Monday night. It's been like a week since then. Anyway, let's hand out some awards. So first up, driver of the day. Uh, who you got? Driver our, of the our day. Driver of the day, I should say. Driver of the day went to uh, Piastri, just so you know. on The the vote went to Piastri. But who yeah, do you have? I'd give it to Norris or Piastri. One of the guys in the McLarens for sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, yeah. I, 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 I mean, it's kind of a toss-up. Let's give it to both of them. How about? Yeah, I was going to say, Team McLaren, drivers of the day. All right. Who, who is your not-so-driver of the day? Sergio Perez. Yeah. He drove right that's into... He drove right into Magnuson. There was no avoiding him. There was no, like explanation for it. There was no excuse. He literally live. We were on the one camera we needed to be on and he drove right into the back of him. Um, okay, great. So then let's go to our overtake of the race. Who do you have for that? Leclerc over Russell. But I mean, I, I controversial opinion. A lot of these overtakes were pretty shitty because they all happened on the same two turns where, where you take the outside first and then you do a long straight and eventually you get the inside and you just, you have the overtake. So it was once you saw everybody on the outside of that first turn, you knew they were going to get the inside line and overtake. So it was kind of, that was the one spot everybody was passing. I don't know. What about you? I would have gone with the signs over, over Russell one, just because there was so much drama attached to that whole thing, but it wasn't like it was a skilled overtake. It was that's sort of just that, like, that's what I mean. I just mean, it was like, it's the most memorable moment for me in the race when, you know, when, when there's so many sort of elements there at play, I don't know. It's a hard one. Cause there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't like that marquee overtake. I mean, you could give it to Ocon for overtaking Gasly. Oh my God. Gasly stopped on that last turn. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. He stopped at the finish line, let Ocon pass him. And then he, he literally stopped. Like, I'm not joking. He stopped yeah. the car, let Ocon pass him and went. Okay. Let's talk about our uh, radio got, call of the race. What yeah, do you radio got? Call the race. I radio got call that, the race. that pass. You're talking about signs when he's behind the Mercedes and he goes, they're using my technique against me. Oh, I know. I'm going to go and get him. Like that was now so, I'm gonna go get him. Now I'm gonna go and get him. So funny. I love signs. I the more I watch signs, I was a big fan of signs when he went to Ferrari. Um, and then I started just like Ferrari started getting frustrating to watch. Um, and I kind of like just lost interest in them and like their attitude and the way they're handling everything, their decisions. But man, I forgot how much I love signs for things like this. Yeah, no, that was that's a easy one for me too. I agree completely with that. That's a Easy, easy, easy answer. All right, there you go. Those are our awards for uh, the Japanese Grand Prix. That is our review of the Japanese Grand Prix. We will be back in a moment. Hey, football fans. The Ordinary Podcasting Network is very excited to welcome back for its second season, Running Down the Clock, presented by Puya Ricey and Tyler Walzak. These two football fans will sit down with you every Thursday of the NFL schedule to talk football. You can subscribe to Running Down the Clock Anywhere you get your podcast. It's time for mail. Okay, Tyler, our mail box, box, box question this week uh, uh, comes from Sarah. The question is this. Considering how Formula One is continually trying to expand to new races on new continents, what race on the current schedule would you replace? And we've Ooh. talked a little bit about this already because we know there's conversation about like maybe Monaco becomes like an every other race or we're not going to have two races in Italy yeah. every year. But for you, if there's a race you could dump 
in place of something else. And maybe that's the next question. She didn't ask this, but maybe I'll expand it being like, where would you go instead? But let's start with what race on the calendar could you do without? I could do without Monaco. So it's a weird thing because as somebody who got into F1 like four or five years ago, um, I had just a sports fan. I had always known about Monaco and like how prestigious it was and how important it was. And then getting into F1, I was like, oh, Monaco's coming up. Monaco's coming up. Monaco's coming up. Now I'm like, ah, Monaco's coming up this week. <laughs> like, it's just not a fun race. It never is. The qualifying is great. But, and like, that's, but that is because you're watching a track that's legendary and you're not in the way of other people. But this Monaco, there's no, there's, there's nothing to get excited about. Qualifying is the race. Okay. So, sucks. so, so either widen, widen the track or get rid of it okay this is the wrong answer but that's fine you can have you can have that the correct answer sarah to this question and it's very simple it's miami miami Uh, should never have been a race it should never have been there it is the most like blatant like uh like pandering uh, that a sport has ever done <laughs> not that not completely true it is as dumb as the fact that there is still a hockey team in arizona let's put it that way it is as dumb as the fact that like like you there's no there is no way you could convince me that there is a good reason to have this race in miami now you could say oh well maybe if we had a better track oh maybe. no it's dumb if you're gonna have races in america beyond the circuit of Americas. And we have yet to see what Las Vegas looks like. And I will withhold judgment until I see it. I am sure it is going to be an absolute shit show because it is going to be huge and glitzy and fancy and it's Vegas. Can't guarantee it'll be a great race, but Miami is so like lipstick on a pig. It is just like, here we are desperately trying to make this work because we like the money part of it. it. It is cheap. I mean, the fact that we are talking about a race that literally drives around a fake marina that has like like boats boats placed in a parking lot that is the rest of the year like a tail parking lot for the miami dolphins is a joke and it's dumb and it's it shouldn't exist and it's it's a kind of yeah it cheapens the entire thing so that's an easy one miami needs to go away i will expand the question tyler you can put a race anywhere else in the world where do you go I that's see that's a I don't know the answer to that question because oh. there's is there any races in Africa? Maybe no, South Africa gets a race. I so think that's to probably South the Africa. logical answer because then you are like you gotta you gotta hit every continent, right? Yeah. Like go that's to Cape kind Town. Of a thing Cape Town would be great. Yeah, Cape Town or would be great for yeah. a race. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, I agree. I think that that's definitely got to be the next spot. I say every continent. I don't think they'll be racing in Antarctica, but uh, It'd be cool. But, Egypt, Egypt would be wicked. Yeah, they can no, do exactly. Like, there are yeah. definitely places you should be go- like could be going that you're that they're not. I think that that would be and there's like that the, the the fact is it's like if it's really important to you to have a race or have three races in America, there I can think of like 12 better places to put a Formula One track than Miami. Like you're not have wrong. a race through like Manhattan. Like you want to really yeah. go America, like it, there should be a race out in California because that's a, got an incredibly rich auto sport history. There, you've already got the, the the race in the south, which is in Austin. You could probably also do with a race in, you know, Indianapolis if you really wanted to make it a thing. Well, that's but why like, it's in Miami, right? It's because Miami's close to Daytona. Yes, of course, but it's also because yeah, it's also just and the city's got a beach like, and it's, it's Miami. And, yeah. yeah, it's I get it, 
But I also think that it's kind of a shame that they only have one South American race, considering I think that there is opportunity to be like like the Brazilian Grand Prix is one of the best on our calendar. I would I would argue I love the Mexican the, love, Grand Prix is fantastic. Like, some of the Western Hemisphere stuff is really, really good. I would always go for more Western Hemisphere stuff just because it's great viewing times for us. Yeah. But like you could have a race in you know, Argentina, I'm sure there's race fans there that would be into it. Like, I'm sure that there's places you could go. Like you say, South Africa, I, there's probably a Northern African p- places you could be going with it. Um, anyway, I think there's more opportunity than perhaps we're getting out of it, but I don't think Miami needs to stick around. And I'm not sure it will after like in the next couple of years, we may see Miami go away. Cause it's one of those tracks. that's like, <laughs> I want to change my answer to Miami. Okay. Monaco sucks. It's boring, but Miami's like, like it's boring, it's shitty, and it doesn't have history. I would Fair give enough. up both of those for a, a race in Cape Town. I'm now I'm very excited about races in Cape Town. All right, I like this. Uh, all right, there's your answer, Sarah. More than you asked for. <laughs> but thank you for submitting your questions. And I know it's getting near the end of the year, there, folks, and people are, uh, you know, you you got other things to do. But hey, hit us up with some questions. We got lots of time left. A few races, it, it, like we still got like four months of this Tyler. The season six won't races end. left. Won't end. It's the longest season ever. Uh, no, send us your questions at uh, pitstop at ordinarypodcasts.com or you can hit us up on Instagram. Just ask us what you want to know. We will answer it for you. Uh, we won't always be right. And sometimes we we acknowledge we're wrong and change our answers. Um, all right, Tyler, <laughs> oh, uh, out that was well, a little bit. Uh, I just like I I knew you were gonna say Monaco. I just knew it because uh, it's the easy answer. You it's an easy, easy answer. Road, yeah, I forgot man. about Miami. I completely forgot about Miami. That's on me. All right, all right, That's all right. Well, this is on you too. Can you please give us a preview of the next race? Yes, we are going to Qatar. Uh, hey, guess what? This is a sprint race. We finally have warned everybody that this is a sprint race. Friday, yeah, we October haven't been 6th, very good at that this year. We'll be doing qualifying for the race Saturday, October seventh. You got both your sprint events. October eighth, we got the Grand Prix. Um, Thanksgiving now, weekend of here in Canada. <laughs> to get ahead of ourselves, yeah. So nothing this weekend. Then Thanksgiving weekend That's here right. in Canada. That's right. um, and then, but it's back to back weekends now of sprint races. So if I forget to mention this. The weekend after Qatar, we are at the uh, United States Grand Prix, also a sprint race weekend. Um, but for now, we're at Lucille International Circuit. First Grand Prix, this is weird, 2021. And we've only had one Grand Prix because we skipped 2022 in Qatar last year. Um, a lot of blah, blah about them not wanting to interfere with the World Cup that was happening in Qatar. Um, but we have signed on with Qatar for we. Um, Formula One signed on with Qatar for the next 10 years. Um, so up until 2033, we will have a race in Qatar um, every year. 57 laps, 16 turns, one DRS zone. Detection is in turn 16, into turn 16. DRS zone is on the start finish straight. Um, this track was originally designed for motorcycle racing. It's very fast, very flowing. Um, it kind of looks like a three fingered glove that like maybe the Ninja Turtles could wear. Um, medium, high speed corners. Most overtaking opportunities will take place into turn one. Uh, it's a very long uh, DRS straight. Uh, anytime I can get a Ninja Turtles reference in there, I'm going to do it. Uh, yeah, 2021's winner was uh, Lewis Hamilton. Podium was followed up by Verstappen at P2 and Alonso at P3. That's an awesome podium. I think we talked about that a lot um, during that race. The stops in this was split between a one and two stop race. Hamilton for Stappen were two spot, uh, two stops. Lonzo was only once going into this race at the sprint for Stappen only needs to finish sixth in order to secure his championship. Um, so he could, he can do that on Saturday 
that is the Qatar Grand Prix. Okay, so um, here's the question I would ask you uh, when you, because now you've got me thinking about this. So I want to go back to the previous question because you mentioned Qatar. Like, okay, if you don't have to necessarily remove a race, but you want to reorient it, can we can we just really for a second talk about how like maybe the season should end somewhere other than Abu Dhabi? Would you go for that? Or do you like that it finishes there? I, no, I fucking hate Abu Dhabi because of because of the the problems we had there. Yeah, I agree. Every I time you have Abu Dhabi to finish the every time Abu Dhabi finishes a season of Formula One, the conversation is always going to be this is where Lewis Hamilton got screwed out of a championship at Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I think that they should finish in Brazil. Yeah, Brazil's awesome. I mean, we I both only love Brazil. That. I only ask that because we're talking like constantly they keep this sort of propaganda piece going around like, oh, we're trying really hard to limit the amount of uh, travel necessary. And we're trying to clump all of these places together. We're having back to back races in Qatar and then Austin, Texas. Yeah. How is that good for travel? Yeah, no, it It ain't. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen a map recently, Tyler. They are the only time Qatar and Austin are near each other is when the map is folded in half. In your pocket, I will say that they go after Qatar. They go Austin, Texas, Mexico, which is just south. Then Brazil, where Mexico which is. is. Thank south. you for that, though. And then they go back up to. Hey, a lot of people don't know where Mexico is. Do you right. watch TikTok at all? There's some. There's some I do uneducated not. I do people not. out there about geography. Um, but then they're back in Las Vegas. So the next after Qatar, the next four races make sense. But, but yeah, just go Qatar, then go Abu Dhabi, and then do the four. North American ones, or do North America, then do Qatar, Abu Dhabi, but also Japan next year. Right now, it's like it's always been kind of this later. Japan's the fourth circuit next year. Yes, I know. Right in the middle of the European yeah. portion of what they've claimed the calendar is about. Yeah, the this whole thing that sense. like, it oh no, no, sense. it's all about making it more regional. Yeah, it's not in any way, shape, or form. Also, uh, just for our listeners out there, uh, it, Tyler is now going to ensure that he has a Ninja Turtles reference every race for the rest of the season. So he'll Sign be working on those. And uh, and we'll do the rest of that. All right. We really appreciate you all listening. Thank you for doing that. We will be back in two weeks, as Tyler mentioned, for the uh, Canadian Thanksgiving long weekend when we will have uh, the race out of Qatar for you. It is a sprint race, as Tyler mentioned. Uh, We appreciate you listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe, share it with your friends. uh, And until next week, cowabunga. Pitstop Podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include... Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked 
these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.